Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. Everything you'll ever need to know about food. Kia ora and welcome along to Cuisine Bites where we take you behind the pages of our beautiful cuisine magazine to share some of the stories that you might not always find in the print or digital space. I'm Kelly Brett and this episode is all about collaboration. This year's month-long food and drink celebration in August, Wellington on a Plate, brings an incredible array of superstar chefs to New Zealand, an exciting series of chefs' collaborations that will inspire your little socks off. Among all of these, three very special chefs are winging their way to Wellington with a wealth of knowledge to share. We both come from um, being women in kitchens, in restaurants, um, and have been working at it a long enough time to have seen a lot of places and a lot of things. And I think we just have enough experience to know how we want to do it better, how we think it should be done better. It just wasn't a question that um, if we were going to be opening our own businesses, that uh, that was going to be a very central and important to the purpose of even uh, operating businesses in the first place. You know, the, 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 the way that we know people is through their food, actually. So you may have this fear of something that is the other, the unknown, the mm. stranger. But as soon as you're eating kimchi or whatever it is, you suddenly know that person, you know their culture. And, and, and that... I think food is such a powerful um, tool in bringing people together and helping uh, people understand other people. You know, high pressure, a lot mm. of stress, there's a lot at stake, you know, you really can't. But um, there's that incredible excitement and everyone's dressed up and talking. But I mean, you know, it, it's, it's about all the things coming together. It's not just about food. You'll hear more from LA's Sarah Kramer from Restaurant Kismet, London's Ravinda Bogul from Restaurant Jikoni, and New Zealand's own Margot Henderson from the Rochelle Canteen in London in just a tick. But first... (laughs) Chef's collaborations have become almost the norm with chefs partnering up around the country to showcase their food and reach a new customer by appearing at a host restaurant. Collaborations might seem like a lot of fun, but in reality, they're very hard work, with chefs having to work in unfamiliar spaces, with equipment and sometimes ingredients they're not used to, and teams that may work to a completely different rhythm to what they've developed with their teams at home. And yet when they work well, these collabs are an excellent opportunity for us as diners. We get to taste the flavours and approach of a chef that we might not normally consider and perhaps be inspired to make the journey to visit their restaurant across the country. Chefs Nick Watt and Chris Will and the team at Sky City's Masu have presented a number of outstanding chefs collabs lately. And on August 1st, chef Casey McDonald joins them from the Hawke's Bay for a taste of Craggy Range. Nick says it's shaping up to be a bit of a ripper. Chris and Casey have been working on the menu really hard to ensure that Craggy gets a, a real strong uh, footprint for the guests here. Uh, hints and accents coming through from Masu, um, and then obviously the team of Masu uh, helping deliver Casey's food. Uh, on the menu will be um, a bit of a sharing plate to start, um, and really focusing on uh, a couple of Casey's uh, signature dishes with uh, the potato bread and his butter. Um, and then with his butter, for example, we're looking to bring in uh, a little bit of masu. So uh, masu put together with zinkuro our own sake, 
So we've got the lease from the sake. So we're going to start working uh, with Casey and having his pretty funky cheese butter with a little bit of sake lees going through it. Um, then some Jerusalem artichoke eclair. We're talking about bringing in, um, for example, a nori and squid ink tostada. So a few little sharing components coming through like that. Um, course two, working off uh, Aura King salmon. Um, so we're fortunate to have Aura King salmon come on board with us um, and a slow cooked over the rabata uh, section of salmon. Um, and then main course going on, Casey's got some uh, Hawke's Bay lamb shoulder uh, that's going to be slowly braised um, and served sharing style. Mm. Um, and then bringing in uh, some of the misos, um, garlic, chilli and flavour profiles coming into that. And then dessert uh, is a little bit of a, a quite a strong collab um, with a super soft poached meringue, um, some which Casey's bringing forward. Then uh, yuzu custard uh, from us, uh, miso custard, yuzu ice cream, sorry, mm. um, and a really uh, whipped yogurt, really light yogurt that goes through there. And that one's really sort of working together. So a true collaboration then in the sense of the word. Um, many times when you go to collabs, you see one chef's dish, another chef's dish, one chef's dish, another chef's dish, but this is really merging those two two yeah. sort of sets of skills together. Yeah, absolutely. This is um, definitely not, you know... Um, Craggy Masu, Craggy Masu. Mm. This is a real collab that on every plate uh, will be a part of uh, Casey and Craggy's signature and part, part of Masu's signature mm. and working with, you know, with Chris and myself bringing the Masu components to, to Casey's food. It's probably Casey's food with accents of Masu coming through awesome. and that's what we want the guests to have. When someone asks you to describe the food at Masu, how do you describe it? Uh, Masu's food is, is contemporary Japanese. So you come to, to Masu... Uh, you leave most definitely having a Japanese experience. We use traditional techniques and methods, but we just enhance the flavour profile. Mm. And that's very much that theme of boosting the, the flavours a little bit and moving away from that more um, subtle Japanese traditional yeah. style. Yeah, traditionally Japanese food is super subtle. And I'll, an example, we've got kamameshi here, which is a, a Japanese-style risotto. So our kamameshi, uh, the, the process, the stock, everything is, is fully traditional the last third of the section we completely changed. So traditionally, you would cook the rice, steam the rice with the same stock that we use, with the same rice that we use. Traditionally, the third step, you'd put a, a fillet of fish on it with some ginger and just steam it. So you have this beautiful rice, it's, and the fish is steamed and the ginger. But that's, I think, to a Western palate, almost a little bit dry and, and, and soft. So we do, instead of the, the, on the third stage, we'll make a slurry with crab and the stock and add lemon and chilli and ginger and put it on so when you stir it, and we sneak in a little bit of butter, uh, miso butter, but when you stir it, it becomes a little bit more of a risotto kind of mm. texture. So the dish in itself is, is quintessentially traditional Japanese, but the flavour profile that the guests receive is just enhanced. Mm. I had one more really important question. Why Casey? <laughs> ah, Casey. Um, the guy's a champion. The guy can cook phenomenal. Uh, the brand that he, he cooks with, Craggy Range, is fantastic. So when we think of brand alliances and collaborations, um, if we put together Masu and Craggy Range, you know, they're, they're two very harmonious brands in, in their alignment. So, Chris, tell me, what are the changes for you when a collab like this takes place in the kitchen? I think we've become quite accustomed to it. We have a lot of different chefs coming into Masu and a lot of these kind of events with Nick and um, different wine events and charity dinners that we do. But it's definitely very exciting. And I think it's one of the things that I like a lot because we get to really 
sort of get engaged and engage our team in a different sort of style. So Mass is always very full on. It's a very busy restaurant and we, you know, we stick into our, our, uh, our style of cuisine. But obviously when we have a chef like Casey come along where he has now a wealth of experience from other restaurants, it's really great for our team to get involved and they can learn a lot more just separate from our daily basis, you know. Mm. So uh, interesting for us, it's a lot of organisation that obviously goes into these events, um, preparation and lead time and recipes and different stock items that we possibly wouldn't normally use in a Japanese restaurant, whereas, you know, Casey might be uh, needing something a bit more different where we can sort of work with him. Um, and I think that, that sort of really helps us along, you know, gives us a broader perspective of, uh, of what's going on in the world in terms of cuisine. And, uh, yeah, it's a great experience for it's, all of us. It's terrific um, to see you guys doing so much of this, actually, because I think it's so good for the teams yeah. to be able to see different styles and yeah. that. How do they react to having another boss in the kitchen? Or are you still the boss? <laughs> Look, it's not about being a boss. I think they, um, they, really, they really enjoy seeing these chefs. Uh, and, um, you know, like we say, learn off what they are doing. Um, but yeah, it's always a learning curve. Uh, some chefs are more engaged than others. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always good fun. You know, for, for us, we have our Japanese items and, you know, they're, they're the best that you can get. And we bring them all in that we mm. do use. But to work with something for this event that's going to come directly from Craggy Ranger's garden, where Casey and his team are working every single day to create this whole garden that's grown and produces for the entire restaurant that will be able to be used for the event. You know, honey that's just five minutes away. Those are all the items that we're going to actually bring up to Masu, that there's a real connection between Taste of Hawke's Bay, Taste of Craggy Ranch, yeah. Taste of Masu, that it's not just a, you know, we bought honey from somewhere else in the world in a jar and we brought it here. You know, these are real New Zealand products at the end yeah. of the day that we're trying to showcase and obviously the two different um, regions. Casey, is there anything on the menu that you've put together, anything on there that's surprised you or something that you're particularly impressed with? Um, I think the lamb shoulder is, is a really stock standard New Zealand, um, you know, lamb is, is really Hawke's Bay. We're really proud of who we use for lamb, um, how it's produced. But tasting some of the different misos and what Chris and Nick have been talking about and just putting a different angle on that um, is kind of exciting. Uh, we sell a lot of lamb in the Hawke's Bay. People love it, but it's going to be really exciting to do use different flavours and stuff that these guys make here as well, so making their own misos, their own pastes, just things like that, adding lots of depth to dishes uh, and adding different um, nuances and f like even a little bit of finesse to the lamb shoulder, which I wouldn't have thought before we came up here. Oh. Any thoughts on the lamb in New Zealand? Oh, I think it's great. Um, I've sold a lot of lamb and cooked a lot of lamb in different countries. I think the New Zealand lamb... Uh, is is great. Um, even the stuff you can buy um, from the local butchers, it's all really dark red. Um, it, I think it's phenomenal lamb. We're really proud of who we use for lamb um, and we try and use sort of breed specific, age specific um, and sometimes we use a little bit older lamb as well so it's not maybe completely sort of a little bit older than six to nine months so we try and get a bit more flavour in it. But yeah, I love the New Zealand lamb. So we were all very excited when you landed at Craggy, yeah. and there's been uh, quite a few changes uh, since you arrived. Can you talk me through what you've what you've been up to? Because I've always wanted to come back to New Zealand and cook New Zealand food, because I'm I'm so proud of where I'm from, but also the produce is unbelievable. So we wanted people at the Hawke's Bay to kind of leave knowing a taste of the Hawke's Bay, and in particular areas. So our menus um, been designed to showcase areas, not just suppliers. So we'll have a um, 
a section of the menu which is just about an area and so we'll showcase different suppliers of that area. Another thing we needed to do was revamp the restaurant and um, make it a more modern and comfortable environment. That's probably a polite way of putting it and so we've, um, we've sort of put a lot of effort into it um, and making it a fun place to work so we attract better staff and so now we have a great staff, it's a fun place to work, it's a good environment, it's a structured, um, disciplined environment but we've just worked really hard on getting locals back as well which is a key part of any business um, but especially in the Hawke's Bay when, when the tourists go. Um, we've worked really hard on relationships there and, and making it different each time people come back um, so it's been a blast. We've been reopened since September. It's, it's been great. And what about the food scene and the restaurant scene in general? Having come back in from Oz, how would you say the comparison's going? I think the strengths uh, in New Zealand, why I, I came back, everywhere's got a different climate, a different coast. There's like little microclimates or little areas that are representing um, their area really well. And I think that's what our strengths are. You know, our population's spread across the whole country. And that's the same population as a, a state like um, Victoria or Melbourne or Melbourne City. So I think um, showcasing the food from where, where you're based is really good. Once you're outside of Auckland, I think that's where you have to find your strength. And to be honest, in the Hawke's Bay, there's no way you can pick up the phone and get anything within two days. You've got to go out and get it. So New Zealand's got awesome produce, probably some of the best in the world, but I think you have to go and get it. And that can also become a weakness because you go out and get it and you're working with a grumpy farmer or a difficult butcher or somebody who's in the wrong mood and they've got great produce and you need to somehow get it and you need to go through them. So there's a huge strength, but there's a there's sort of a knife edge uh, balance sometimes as well. Gee, you have to really be multi-skilled to be a chef these days, don't you? I think you have to be pretty diplomatic and uh, bite your tongue a lot, yeah. <laughs> Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. <laughs> Let's hope none of those farmers or butchers are listening to Cuisine Bites. Thank you to chefs Nick Watt and Chris Will from Masu and Casey McDonald from Craggy Range. Incidentally, Craggy Range was recently named one of the top vineyards in the world, so we're very proud of the way that they're telling our food and wine story on a global scale. If you're listening to this podcast before August 1st, you can book for that exquisitely crafted four-course dinner by emailing info at masu.co.nz or just head over to Masu by Nick Watt on Facebook or Instagram for more info. For the love of food. I'm going to let you listen in now to three very different convos with three very different but all equally talented chefs that are heading their way to Wellington in August for Wellington on a Plate. As they're all very busy chefs, I had to get them whenever and wherever they could be available to me, so I apologise that some of the phone lines are not the best. Each one of these chefs has so much passion and love for what they do, I'm intending to get on a plane to Welly just so that I can get a hug out of each one of them. First up, Sarah Kramer of Kismet fame from LA is teaming up with restaurant legends Paul and Kelder at Rita for a delicious fusion of Middle Eastern and inner city roots. I haven't yet had the pleasure of eating at Kismet, but I've been told that to eat there is to experience deeply Californian food and feel like you are truly on vacation. I asked Sarah to explain exactly what that means. I love that other people say that. It certainly doesn't feel like a vacation to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, uh, you know, it's a very, like, casual, carefree kind of environment. We really try to have our, like, the food and the service are, are 
as important as each other. Like it's not the food above the service or the service above the food. We really value both so, so highly and hospitality above everything. Um, so I think that a lot of what um, people feel when they come here is just really being taken care of in a way that um, is beyond uh, just your average restaurant experience. Um, and, and we're very conscious of that. And it's, you know, incredibly, incredibly satisfying to have uh, feedback speak to that. Um, and I would say that the food, the food style itself is very much um, like a contemporary uh, expression of, um, you know, food right now in Los Angeles and in, you know, popular dining in America and globally, um, things that can be shared um, which is really important to our concept as well and important to how we eat food. And I think the direction that a lot of dining is going in, um, just trying to really set the table and set the stage for a communal shared dining experience that allows us to connect with the people that we are dining with. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the food itself is really steeped in, um, you know, a, a lot of, uh, vegetable cooking and sustainable practices and I think that that is just sort of a um a baseline these days um at least from my perspective I think it should be something that is very important to us but isn't um the thing that we you know plaster all over our menus because at this point I think especially in in the restaurant industry I think just a baseline these days so it's all of these things combined I I think that um maybe make it feel um extra special and vacation-y <laughs> So it's been such a tremendous success for you, obviously, but how, how much did working with Dan Barber at Blue Hill at Stone Barns influence your approach to food? Uh, I mean, hugely. Um, Dan Barber and Stone Barns were, um, yeah, incredibly important for my career. I don't think that I knew very much um, about food or restaurants before working there. I, and I started working at Stone Barns directly out of culinary school, uh, was now almost 13 years ago. And I would say that it was extremely foundational for my career. And I feel like I learned so much on, on the food and sustainability front, especially. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the uh, experiences that I had there for what I learned. I've had the um, incredible opportunity to actually sit at his little table in the kitchen there and watch it all unfold. And it's very special. But my God, what a hive of activity that kitchen is. It's incredible. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah it is really like unlike any other kitchen I've ever worked in. But going back to before your restaurant days, um, we have to mention this, of course. <laughs> I'm sure everybody does. So you're <laughs> ready for it. Point. <laughs> <laughs> so Broadway and Mamma Mia, are those days gone for good? Um, I think those days are certainly gone in terms of musical theatre for me. Um, <laughs> but... You know, they were a very big part of my life for a very long time as a young person. And, um, you know, when I booked that show, I was I was 17 and I was just out of high school. And it was, of course, like a dream come true. But and, and I'm incredibly grateful for having had that experience as well, because I think it taught me a lot about what I wanted and what I didn't want and um, what kind of lifestyle I wanted to lead. And, and I think that uh, it really helped inform my future decisions. So it was a great experience in so many ways. And. You know, I continue to sing, and I do uh, occasional media appearances, and I feel very prepared for that, which is really nice, um, because I think a lot of chefs don't get um, any media training. That I have some that in my background was um, extremely 
fortunate um, for the position that I'm in now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if those days are over forever, but um, in the way of musical theater, I, I doubt that they're coming back in, in that exact form. <laughs> you seem to be quite happy where you are, although the restaurant business itself is a little bit, maybe a different type of theater for you these days. Yeah, but it is similar. There are a lot of similarities. Um, the sort of immediate nature of things, the performance of things, um, there is a lot that's really relatable. So it wasn't as difficult to transition as I think it, it might have been for other people with different kinds of experience, like an office job, let's mm. say, which, mm. I've, which I've never had. So, um, you know, I think for me, this kind of work has always kind of made sense. And um and yeah, and I'm I'm grateful to be able to do it. It makes it makes you feel right. You're recognised for your terrific work on improving the restaurant workplace culture. Can you tell me a bit about that? Was it something that you set out to do from the start, or something that slowly crept up on you? It's always been really at the heart of the work that we do. You know, Sarah, my my, part, my chef partner, and I, we both come from um, being women in kitchens in restaurants, um, and have been working at it a long enough time to have seen a lot of places and a lot of things and. I think we just have enough experience to know how we want to do it better, how we think it should be done better. Um, and it, it just wasn't a question that um, if we were going to be opening our own businesses, that uh, that was going to be a very central and important to the purpose of even uh, operating businesses in the first place. Mm. And, and it's always tempting to ask um, when you're having these conversations what the difference in approach would be when a kitchen is run by women as opposed to men. But I think it's probably time that we move on from that and take gender out of the conversation. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There are lots of people, uh, regardless of who they are, doing great work and doing things the right way. Um, and there are lots of people, regardless of gender, who are also doing things badly. Um, and it's not uh, men are the problem, women are the answer at all. Everything you'll ever need to know about food. And I'll be talking more about the future of food with Sarah Kramer at the Visa Wellington on a Plate Industry Breakfast on the 5th of August at the Visa Festival Hub. Meanwhile, Sarah joins Paul and Kelder at Rita in Wellington for Welly on a Plate, 6th and 7th of August. London chef, food writer, TV presenter and restaurateur Ravinder Bogle is soon to be Wellington-bound for Welly on a Plate to team up with Laura Greenfield at Wellington's beloved restaurant Field and Green. Now, Ravinda had a most unusual kickstart to her career when she was named by Gordon Ramsay as Britain's new Fanny Craddock. Fanny was a 50s British TV cook and culinary legend, just in case you're wondering. You know, I was a journalist, that's what I did. That's what I trained as. I did my uh, English degree, did a postgraduate in journalism. But I was subconsciously always dreaming about food. And I, I had never really thought or considered that this may be an actual career or a choice for me. And then a very good, good friend of mine who was a stylist on a magazine I'd worked at called me and said, I've just seen this advert for um, Gordon Ramsay is looking for a new Fanny Craddock and it's just part of the F word, this TV show. And I just have this absolute feeling that if you enter, you're going to win this thing. So I thought, well, what's to lose? And I entered not expecting anything at all. And I think 9,000 women entered. And, and, and that thing that I talk about, that the thing that you know, you're know you subconsciously always dreaming about sort of turns up in the flesh. And I think a combination of all those things, right place, right time, you know, right attitude, and I won. 
and it completely changed the course of my life. And, um, you know, I, I went back to my journalism job never really expecting anything because I, I really didn't understand at the time how big Gordon Ramsay was as a name. I'd never watched the show, so I did, didn't know how big the show was either, how, how many viewers it had. <laughs> <laughs> and the day it aired was the day that I sort of started getting an inkling because my phone was ringing off the hook and I was getting calls from agents <laughs> saying, you may have a career doing this and will you come and see us? I guess you you didn't pick up the fairy tale husband at that time that your mum was hoping for when she taught you to cook, but you certainly landed on your feet by winning that competition. Yes, yes. So the husband came many years later. <laughs> I wrote the book, I started doing television, I'd done a couple of things and then the sort of life-changing moment, I guess, was doing a series for Channel 4 um, and my co-host was Jay Rayner, who is one of the most mm. incredibly respected um, food critics of our time, a fantastic journalist as well. And, you know, he's a mouth on legs and he, he, when I cook, he really enjoyed my food and he just said, look... Why don't you go off and, and learn about the restaurant trade? Why don't you go and you know, do some experience in restaurants? And I took it all very seriously. And, and off I went and I sort of did some stages and worked in some kitchens. found it really, really tough. But at the same time, I was introduced to a few people and I started doing pop-ups. Uh, residencies in other people's restaurants, uh, a lot of private catering. That that private catering, my clients were mainly other chefs, which was amazing. You know, I was getting bookings from these incredible people who I really, really respected a lot. And and so it went on for for many years. And then, you know, there was a, a series of pop-ups I was doing, and a food critic could come to quite a few of my things. Um, asked to speak to me at the end of the evening and she just said you know, when are you going to stop being such a coward and when are you going to find a space of your own and <laughs> it was like a seed had been planted, like I just suddenly, there was this moment where I thought actually, I'm lugging around bags and bags of stuff with me, doing this sort of travelling cookery thing because I was a pretty much a one-man show and I never knew what the kitchen was going to be like when I turned up or yes. how much help I would have. And I just suddenly thought, well, actually, why not? And it was the perfect timing because over those years that I'd worked in kitchens, I'd really kind of, and done pop-ups and things, I'd really, you know, kind of thought about what I wanted to do, what my, if I ever had a restaurant, what it would represent. Was it a bit of a shock going from cook to restaurateur? A hundred percent. It still is. You know, every day I think, my God. You know, I think in the last few years, and thank thank God for my my husband because I really, truly couldn't do it without him. You know, I, I never believed that my brain would be able to stretch in the way that it has, that I'd be able to learn as much as I have that I'd, I'd be able to manage a team, you know, people mm. so unpredictable and to, to work with people and actually to be quite humble both by the people I work with and their stories and, and our guests as well. We just meet such extraordinary people. Mm. Every day is different. It's, it's, you know, every day comes with its challenges and its highs and its lows and I think that's what restaurant hearing is about. 
when it's working well, it's a glorious thing, the restaurant industry. And so, of course, now you're coming to us for Welly on a Plate and we're very excited. You've teamed up with the gorgeous Laura Greenfield at Field and Green, which is a bit of a legend. I had the pleasure of meeting them recently and it was like meeting kindred spirits. They're just such wonderful human beings. Just the warmth, the enthusiasm, the love. You know, I really, I mean, on meeting them, I just thought, wow, this is so perfect. What lovely, lovely women. I I literally can't wait to work with them. They are incredible and they deliver food that is just all about that passion that you've just talked about. So what can we expect on the menu on the 23rd and 24th of August? Well, uh, the menu is um, a kind of collaboration between the two of us and we really started exploring... um, the kind of diaspora of our cultures so um with laura and her sort of uh, british jewish heritage and then with my kind of indian heritage and came to this conclusion that you know everyone in the world we always have something similar something that binds us as people something that that is familiar and so whether that's pickles or bread a soup or whatever it may be, that there's always a dish that, that, that there are some commonalities. Mm. And we decided to do this the same for same thing but different. And it just explores that. It explores our similarities and our differences. So we'll both be presenting versions of things, you know, from our, our heritage. Which is what brings us all together, isn't it? I had someone telling me years ago in the Middle East, you know, if you sit down to a bowl of hummus, you've got all of those different cultures invested in that bowl of hummus, but there is no fighting, there's no arguments, you're sharing a bowl of hummus. Exactly, and I think what I find really fascinating, you know, when you you think about um, what's going on in the world today in political situations, so many countries and you know, immigration and all of that. And there is so much fear-mongering. Mm. And the thing that really, you know, the, 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 the way that we know people is through their food, actually. So you may have this fear of something that is the other, the unknown, mm. the stranger. But as soon as you're eating, like you said, a bowl of hummus or kimchi or whatever it is, you suddenly know that person, you know their culture. And and that, I think food is such a powerful um, tool in bringing people together and helping uh, people understand other people. Yeah, I think if we could all just sit down and have a bloody good meal, we could solve the problems of the world, couldn't we? Exactly. (laughs) I think I, I think our politicians need to eat more. <laughs> <laughs> Cuisine bites. Ravinda and Laura's collab, Same Same But Different, will be held at Field and Green in Wellington, August 23rd and 24th. For more info, visit visawoap.com. Now, New Zealanders in the culinary know will be delighted to hear that celebrated New Zealand chef Margot Henderson is heading back to team up for what promises to be a stunning collaboration with chef Mark Weir at his Cuba Street restaurant, Loretta. Lamb is on the menu, of course, and Margot sounds a little nervous, but totally up for it. It's all quite exciting to be coming in, um, cooking your home ground, but nerve-wracking. I'm expecting to get excellent lamb. I'm cooking lamb, and I'm <laughs> sure the projects will be really beautiful and hard work and fun. I haven't yet had the opportunity to eat your food, Margot, but from what I've read and from what I've been told, 
whatever the dish is, it will always have its own undeniably Margot flavour. So how do you make something so undeniably you? I've never heard that one actually before, but um, it's, we do very straightforward cooking. The produce speaks for itself. Um, slow cooking, so oh, um, just very gentle food, uh, yummy, delicious. Um, you know, I mean, the, the dish we're doing is almost, um, you know, it's a sort of almost a old British way of cooking lamb. You know, you pop it in the oven before you went out for the day and then you come back and you that's what you'd have for dinner. And we just let the flavours all speak for themselves. You've, of course, with 15 years at Rochelle Canteen and earlier with the French House Dining Room, carved an amazing career in food. I'm interested that catering has also been a big part of your career. My mum was a caterer. Do you love a good dinner party? Are you particularly drawn to entertaining? Yeah, I love a large group of people getting stuck in together, enjoying the pleasure, the excitement. When you, you know, We did a dinner for 240 people this week. Ooh. And, you know, it was a... You know, high pressure, a lot mm. of stress. There's a lot at stake. You know, you really can't. But um, there's that incredible excitement and everyone's dressed up and talking. But, I mean, you know, it, it's it's about all the things coming together. It's not just about the food. Mm. You know, we like to do long tables so people can talk across them. It's, you know, beautiful flowers. and You know, it's, it's pulling all the different together and um, having a lot of pleasure. And we know how tough the restaurant industry is um, to be good at, but I would think that catering, especially at the high end, the level that you're at, would have its own very particular set of challenges. Yeah, I mean, it's all about getting the job. Um, We work for the art world a lot, so Mm. we've got really great contacts in the art world. And um, they have, you know, are very loyal and stuck with us. They eat in all our restaurants. And they go, and they also entertain a lot because you know they've got openings every week, and yeah. so they're celebrating a lot every day. We stand up and we thank the Lord for the art world. <laughs> but um, you know, it, the catering has given um, helped our restaurants a lot too, and we do, you know, we do buyouts in our restaurants. You know, we are about big tables and big catering and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm guessing that you've watched from afar the evolving New Zealand restaurant scene. Do you have a perception of where it's at? Well, it seems to be growing hugely. It seems amazing. Um, I feel a bit out of the loop. I haven't been for a couple of years, but we ate in Littleton. Was it Roots that you went to? Yeah, yeah. Julio Sterler. Yeah, yeah. Nikau is our favourite restaurant, actually. We always get off the plane and head straight to Nikau. Delicious, gentle, just what you need. The family gathering, um, very nice. In Christchurch, the plant-based restaurant. Alex's gatherings. Alex's. That was going to be my next question because I know that um, you recently had everything. him. Yes, yes. Did you take anything away from having Alex showcase his vision for gatherings at your restaurant? Well, he was a delight to work with and he brought some lovely things. His tomato suit was almost a bit like... A play on tin tomato soup. It was delicious. It mm. was amazing. It was all. It had sort of cheeky things of old school f- food, and then quite modern. It was great. It was really good. We had a great time, and it was packed, and everyone loved it. Margot, I've always felt that women have a different approach to men in the way that they cook food. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a bit of a generalisation, but. Gen- 
definitely men seem to be drawn more to fine dining, dining than women. Um, women cook more sort of hearty food mm. um, in a sort of more relaxed fashion. But, you know, there's lots of women doing fine dining, but also men have got more time to, to work. You know, I think we're um, fine dining is, you know, you devote your every single day to it, but um, every hour. But, um, yeah, women you cook definitely the men, but it's always hard to put your finger on it. But back in 2013, yeah. you had a bit of a go at Time magazine for um, a series of culinary stories about influences in food. And it listed a, uh, included a list of 13 gods of food. And, of course, um, at that time, no female chefs made the cut. Do you think mm-hmm. that we've made positive progress in this area since then? It's a ridiculous article. I, can't, <laughs> I mean, I just don't. I'm sort of bored with the gods of food. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, women are up there. Look, I mean, there's so many women doing And you've got them, you know, there's... Um, I mean, it seems to be happening quicker and quicker. But, you know, when it comes down to our kitchens, there's still a lot more men in them than women. Yeah. I don't quite know why. Maybe we've scared them all off or the work's too hard for them these days. Yeah, <laughs> I don't oh, know, but, it's um, hard, isn't it? And it's that thing also of, of women do seem to have the kids and then it's so hard for them to get back in again if they if they you know if yeah. they they make that commitment which of course you do if you decide to have a child then you're going to make a commitment to yeah, exactly. to being with it and you can't do something that's as as um as demanding as as running a fine dining restaurant yeah, I mean, and give it 100% who wants to work yeah mm. standing on your legs and working on that mm. long it's not exactly um <laughs> it's not romantic, is it? But you know, look at all the women food writers in the in our trade and business in every way. You know, so, and look, you're all organising this festival, and it's, you know, there's lots of jobs. Yes, yeah, and, and will we get into trouble if we say women on the whole are better food writers? Do you think? <laughs> I didn't say better. I said <laughs> most of them are. I do, I do think though it's, there's a question of, um, regardless of gender, the language used in professional kitchens um, is very important. Something happened just a few weeks ago that I wanted to get your thoughts on. I I was going into the back of a restaurant um, to meet with the manager, and I came upon a young chef having a fag and having a bit of a break, and I asked her if I was in the right place, and she said, "Oh, look, I'm just one of the lower chefs. I'll take you to someone who can help you." So. She took me through and I went inside and I was waiting for the manager and I was really uneasy about that comment and she went past me again and I couldn't help myself. I just felt like I had to say something. So I grabbed her and reminded her that she's in a tough industry where she's going to have to work hard to get anywhere, really hard. And the last thing she needs to do is to call herself lower than anyone else. And then the owner manager came out and called on another chef from the kitchen to bring out some food. And actually introduced that chef to me as one of his lower chefs. I was like, oh, my God, so she's demonstrating almost a learned behaviour here. And I was disturbed to think that any employer could refer to a staff member as being lower than any other, whether it was on purpose or not. I don't think it was. It was just the language in the kitchen and I... I think that's weird to be saying lower height, but, you know, we would say second, third mm. chef or... You know, we, I mean, there is a bit of hierarchy in the kitchen, isn't it? I mean, I've, I, I've tried to get away with it, but it seems that you know, chefs want it to, you know, they want to be TVP or the DVD and, you know, <laughs> all professions, there's language and there's hierarchy mm. and it's how you climb up the ladder. But to call yourself lower is pretty weird. Yeah, Strange no. Language. 
Our people, our stories, our food. Margot Henderson will be cooking lunch with Mark Weir at Loretta on Cuba Street on August 8th and 9th. For more info on this and all of the fabulous Visa Wellington on a Plate events, head over to visawoap.com. It's a whole month of incredible eating, drinking and learning experiences. What are you waiting for? That's it for this episode of Cuisine Bites. Head over to cuisine.co.nz for all things cuisine or find us on social at Cuisine Magazine. Next up, we talk to two incredible Michelin star chefs from their restaurants in New York. Matt Lambert of The Musket Room and Eric Rippert of La Bernardine join us for some incredibly frank chef talk. Meet you back here soon. Yeah, we took long to work. We loved all of the dishes. Um, oh, that goes to my mother. Just one sec. Oh. <laughs> Um. <laughs> <laughs> a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. No worries. <laughs>